Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and you know what we're going to start with. Um, I mean, good news, good news indeed. It was on Friday, June the 24th, 2022. Uh, do you remember where you were? It was a very seminal day in the United States. Today, of course, being June 23rd, uh, we're celebrating a little ahead of time, the one-year anniversary tomorrow of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. You know, there are certain days in a person's life or in a culture's life where you look at what has happened and you say, okay, where were you on that day? And I, and I, don't, I, I don't want to overstate this. I don't want to understate it. <laughs> I mean, it's really very, it's very plain to see how important this decision turned out to be. On the 22nd of January, 1973, this U.S. Supreme Court essentially invented a legal right to abortion. They talked about privacy issues. You know, it was never, whenever you see the headline of a story like that, the actual case involved is never typically about that. I'll, I'll never forget early on in George W. Bush's first term, he vetoed a bill, the headline said, that would have raised the minimum wage. Shame on him for doing so. Well, when the president took to the podium to give the explanation as to why he vetoed the bill. He explained all the other add-ons that were on the bill and said, look, I cannot sign this bill the way it is. I'm all for raising the minimum wage federally. I just can't sign this bill because it, the language is attached. Okay, fair enough. Roe versus Wade uh, basically gave the woman the right to a certain level of privacy to which no one could tell her what to do, whether or not she was going to have an abortion or not. And it, it just, it was one of those, you know, camel's nose under the uh, tent that wound up leading to more than 65 million children having been murdered in the womb, the place that should be the safest place for a baby. I mean, in God's perfect creation plan, the child grows in the mother's womb child nourishes to draws nourishment from mother child actually gives nourishment back to mother to help with mom's repair i mean the new scientific studies are just utterly phenomenal to see what uh, the exchange between mother and child is kind of makes us dads feel left out a little bit right but lo and behold it took the pro-life community 49 and a half years to get a case that would go before the supreme court where the supreme court could actually rule on whether or not roe versus wade was uh, legal and, you know, the idea here, it's funny. I mean, well, it's funny. It's ironic to see the number of progressives who were started twisting and twitching once the Dobbs versus Jackson decision was upheld by the Supreme Court, which effectively overturned Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. It basically said it's the state's decision to make this type of decision, and the state of Mississippi wanted to pass a law that would ban abortions after 15 weeks, and the Dobbs case was worded in such a way and presented in such a way that it effectively also said, by the way, this law supersedes uh, Roe versus Wade. So it was a year ago that we were, I'll never forget, this is funny, you remember those things like, you know, where were you on, when Neil Armstrong said, one small step for man, one giant step for mankind? on July 20th, 1969. I was in the living room at my grandmother's house in Whittier, California. We had just moved to Orange County a couple months before, and we were there on a Sunday afternoon, I believe it was, and we were sitting there watching history on television. I mean, unless you're Andy Kaufman, and then you think it's it was all fake. But trust me, having um, one daughter who lives in the Houston area and another one who's got a friend who works for NASA, uh, they didn't fake that stuff. They've got the proof. 
But you remember where you were. You remember where you were when John Kennedy was assassinated. I remember where I was when I heard that Ronald Reagan had been shot. I mean, there, there are certain things that happen in your life where you remember what was going on. And June the 24th, 2022, I remember. Uh, my wife was away in business. She travels occasionally for her work. I was out literally getting, we just purchased a car a couple months before. It was a previously owned car, but it didn't have the the windows tinted. You know, how do you live in Southern California with all the sun, no window tint? So we found a guy, nice Christian guy over by the dealership where we purchased the car, and I had taken it over to get the windows tinted on the car. And as I pull, I mean, I remember pulling up my phone while I was sitting there waiting, and I looked and saw that the uh, Dobbs versus Jackson had gone the way we hoped it would and it effectively overturned Roe versus Wade. And as I finished up with my car, you know, God bless you to the guys who did the work, did phenomenal work. Um, I'm driving out and I turned onto the main stretch of road by where they were, the main highway, and there's a sign and uh, the, the word abortion was the most prominent thing you see. You know, like those displays, come visit sunny California or Florida or whatever. And they spell out the letters of the word and every letter is a kind of a composite picture of different things you could do. There it was in California. Abortion will always be legal in California. You can always get... And I thought, man, they have that billboard up this day knowing that Dobbs is going to be overturned. And so what happened next, of course, is states like the People's Republic of California, Connecticut, Vermont, Colorado, all rushed to get emergency legislation uh, on the bill that uh, or on the ballot that people could vote for to enshrine abortion rights into the state constitution. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about this. For 49 and a half years, the progressive left didn't bother to do anything like that because they thought, well, we got Roe versus Wade. We got the Supreme Court. We don't have to worry about that stuff. And isn't it interesting that any time leading up to then, they could have enshrined abortion rights into state constitutions. But progressives didn't fight for it, and quite frankly, conservatives didn't fight against it. But now the battle lines are drawn in that regard. Planned Parenthood took in a record amount of money uh, last year, even though their number, the number of people that they served went down. It's gone down almost 20% over the past decade or so. And the abortion industry doesn't seem to be hurting all that much. But is it possible that a change may be a coming? Here's first good news story. The number of people in the United States, it seems like, who are leftists and progressives, seems to be just increasing day in and day out, especially when it comes to younger people, young adults, you know, the not the radical left, but just sometimes there are kids who grow up in Christian homes and they take a left turn. But according to a new Gallup poll, the number of people who identify as socially conservative in the United States is actually on the rise. It is up in the Gallup poll from two weeks ago. 38% of Americans either identify as conservative or very conservative on social issues. In 2022, that number was 33%. In 2021, that was 30%. As a matter of fact, what's interesting about that is that when it comes to the liberal side of the equation, the Americans who identify as liberal or very liberal on social issues was 29% for the survey just completed. And that number was down from the 34% where it was in 2022, and it was unchanged from 2021. Now, it's interesting to see how many people, you know, if you look at the subgroups, uh, Democrats, Republicans, Democrats who identify as socially conservative is 10%. 
Independents who identify as socially conservative went up 24 to 29%. Republicans went from 60% in 2021 to 74% this year. What's interesting, though, is the social conservatism is actually increasing in every single age group as well. 50 to 64-year-olds. In 2021, it was 35%. This year, it's 46%. Uh, 30 to 49-year-olds. Two years ago, it was 22%. Now, it's 35%. Here's the most interesting one to me, though. In 18 to 29-year-olds, the number of those young adults who identify as socially conservative went from 24% two years ago to 30% today. So what exactly does that mean? This is actually, according to the Gallup poll, this is the last time this many Americans said they were socially conservative was 2012. So the fact that 38% of Americans, nearly four out of every 10, identify as either conservative or very conservative, it actually bodes very, very well for us in the body of Christ. Quite frankly, I think it means that you're going to find more solidarity on social issues, common ground places, things of that nature, which I think is important for us to build consensus. Now, know that six out of every 10 Americans aren't going to agree with you, but as long as we understand this is away games until Jesus comes back, we as Christians can be, I think, good with that. Because when you think about it, most people, if you take the Bible part out of it and you start talking about the things that are in Scripture that really are biblical, most people say, that's what I want. But when it comes to the way they live it out and the way it's presented to them, well, that's where it gets a little dicey. And you know, sometimes one of the most uh, challenging places that can actually be is in the home of Christian parents. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and I got some good news for you if you have a prodigal son or daughter or a prodigal grandson or granddaughter. Uh, this happens a lot, of course. We raise our kids in godly homes. Uh, maybe they go through a time of catechism or a first communion class or uh, you know, what, what confirmation, if you will. Uh, they're baptized in the church, and then they go off to college. They meet somebody. They get married. They wander down some crazy road, and next thing you know, wow, it's a prodigal season. Lane Lawson Craft is an author, a blogger, and a speaker who understands that all very well. As a matter of fact, she knows what it's like to pray for not one, not two, but three very wayward prodigals in her own home. She has chronicled her story in a brand new book called The Parents' Battle Plan, Warfare Strategies to Win Back Your Prodigal. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And aren't you just a little bit curious as to what happened to any or all three of those kids if they wandered and never came back? How bad was the prodigal season? Man, I'm sure we all can relate to at least one of the stories we're about to hear. Keep it right here. Lane Lawson Craft joins me to talk about the parents' battle plan for prodigals. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a topic that is a tough one. But it's an important one, especially as it pertains to uh, how we deal with our kids who start deciding that maybe that faith in Christ that they, you know, had when they were younger, it, it isn't really making sense for them anymore. It's a very, very common tale. And fortunately, though, we have a battle plan for winning back your prodigal. Uh, Lane Lawson Craft is with me today here on the bottom line, and she's going to share a story through her own personal experience of what she's now developed is called the Parents Battle Plan, uh, Warfare Strategies to Win Back Through Your Prodigal. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Lane Lawson Craft, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. 
Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Well, it's exciting for us too, even though the topic isn't. I mean, because nobody wants to have to say, yeah, that child that I brought up in the faith, that child who was baptized and committed, confirmed, whatever it is, starts walking away and you begin to look and say, what's happening here? Um, Lane is the uh, very much in-demand author and speaker and media host. Her, Are you still hosting the Warfare Parenting Podcast? Yes, yes. Okay. Talk about what that, I mean, obviously that's born from the experience that you see in this new book called The Battle Plan, but talk about why you call it warfare parenting. Well, I think we need to just start with the premise right now of what, you know, what is a prodigal? Many people say, you know, how do you define that? And I just say that a child, whether it's a, a young child or a 40 to 50 year old child mm -hmm. that has walked away from the faith and values that we raise them in. So that can cover a lot uh, for us today. So um, yeah, warfare parenting, listen, we are in a battle. I, I think the biggest revelation I would love a parent or a grandparent and our uncle, anyone to know is that you're not in war with your child that's defiant or has walked away from their faith. You are in war with the enemy that mm. is out to seek, kill, and destroy them. I'm, so right there, it just proves we're in a battle. I'm so glad you said that, Lane, because I'm sure there are a lot of people who are saying, wait a minute, what is wrong with my son? What is wrong with my daughter? Not, oh my goodness, the spiritual warfare is real. You call it an invisible battle. Talk about how parents, have, that's kind of a starting point, isn't it? For parents who have children, whether they're young adults or older adults, who you, you're saying to yourself, I know you know better. Why aren't you living better? Well, you know, that's where my revelation came in, Roger, is when it, it, things were layering. I had, so these were teens that were wayward up into some of their young adult years. They were layering. It was so uh, deep and dark. I knew that this could not be normal. This has mm -hmm. got to be demonic. And mm -hmm. that is when it really was an aha moment. And I realized, you know, the enemy's out to seek, kill, and destroy this generation. You know, this is the leaders and the next pastors of our yep. country. Yep. And uh, it's an all-out assault, really. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, it's an urgent message today. I'm talking with Lane Lawson Craft today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Parent's Battle Plan. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. If you have a prodigal child, this is a resource for you. Uh, take a look at, uh, help us take a look rather, at this dark army that you write about. I mean, if we're going to get, if we're going to do battle with the enemy, we got to get ready for battle first and foremost. And I think maybe that's where, do you probably hear from a lot of parents who said, well, I noticed this was happening. So I just charged into this, you know, type of thing <laughs> without really having any kind of battle plan. And well, we saw what happened in the Old Testament to those people. Hey, I think we could take this hill. And God's like, go on ahead. I'm not going with you. You know, right. I mean, that we really do have to prepare. Talk about that. We do. And I think really just acknowledging, I, I think that's the first step, you know, to say I'm not in war with my kid. I'm in war with yeah. the devil. But who is the devil? Well, the devil was Lucifer and, and he went against God. And, and I really went into that in the book, because unless you really understand there are angels and there are devils and demons and the demons are really the ones that manifest, that entice, that oppress, that, uh, you know, really lure our children, and and even more so, we are seeing that even from every area in our lives, politically, our culture, yeah. I mean, even politics, is taking away the rights of parents to make choices for their children. So once we recognize this is a spiritual battle, uh, then we can start 
Okay, how do we weaponize ourselves? What do we start doing? And so the next thing I really encourage a loved one or a parent or grandparent to do is to say to themselves, am I praying for my kid? Because if I'm not praying for him, then who is? Mm. And when I made that revelation that prayer is the essential weapon. Roger, things really started turning around. You know, I'm glad to hear you say that, Lane, because I know and I hear from people all the time. I've got folks who are bottom line show listeners in their late 50s, early 60s. They've got college age young adults. They've got uh, young adults even in their 30s. And invariably, I'll either get, you know, someone texting me a, a, a message about here's an article about some school district that's having some issue or whatever. It's some cultural problem. And their solution is always, well, if we vote for this person. Or if we get these judges to act on this way, this, that, and the other thing. And my question back always, well, what is God telling you in prayer, first and foremost? Because I realize that it doesn't seem like we're doing anything when we're praying, but what you write about in the parents' battle plan is that's where it all starts. I mean, that that's the foundation that we start this battle to be fought. Right, right. And I tell parents, you know, it's a panic when your child starts to do these things. Uh, but what I ask them to do is pause and pray. And uh, I would love to go into more of a specific, if you want to, about Yes, please do. Yeah, let's do it. So, so uh, another part of the prayer that was vital was, you know, we used to talk about the blood of Christ. We used to, you know, really in church, talk about the power and the authority that comes through that. So what I then walk parents through and grandparents is uh, I guide them through, I used to do a uh, paintbrush soaked um, in the blood of Christ, uh, on the backs of my children in a visual manner, I would say, Father mm. God, in the name of Jesus and the mm. blood of Christ, and I would paint that paintbrush stroke, please, Father, protect them and give them your wisdom in the Christ blood. I yeah. knew, Roger, that if God would give them the wisdom and he would give them the protection, then certainly they would come back home. So very vital. It's It's what you pray. And so Again, I, I really bring the blood of Christ to the equation, because if we're not praying for our children, who is? And then I ask, plead the blood of Christ over your children. Mm, that is so powerful. Lane Lawson Craft is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Her new book is called The Parents' Battle Plan, Warfare Strategies to Win Back Your Prodigal. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Lane, you write very candidly about the fact that uh, uh, you're a three-time survivor of all of this in terms of your kids how bad did it get i mean i don't don't want you to you know be salacious yeah. or feel like you're oh, sharing no. family secrets but there's there's someone listening saying man i had no idea that my son who grew up this way could go way over here with that what was it like for you and steve right and, and i really hope that parents or grandparents today they're feeling guilt or shame like what did i do wrong why mm -hmm. my kid you know I, we immediately start saying where did i mess up mm -hmm. uh listen I was at the pinnacle, Roger, of what I felt God had called and DNA'd me to do. I was publishing a magazine called Whoa. It's not in publication now, but it, it circulated in every bookstore in America and Canada. And it had people like Dolly Parton, uh, you know, Reba McIntyre, uh, yeah. Kathy Lee Gifford. And we shared stories of hope in these famous people's lives uh, because faith mattered. Uh, so I thought, wow, I am serving the kingdom with all sacrificial gifting and there my three kids were battling each different battles. How bad did it get? Well, I have a son and it was my eldest. 15 years, I would pray those blood-soaked oh, paint prayers. 
And this was his experience. All three had a supernatural experience with God and they were like Saul to Paul instantly. Stephen was at a, a bar high on cocaine and he had called an Uber driver and he said, man, you got to pick me up. I'm going to the next party. So the Uber driver picked him up. Stephen did not know he was a pastor from another country. And the oh, man wow. said, I feel like the Lord is telling me to pray for you, Stephen. And he says, okay. Cause you know, remember I've raised him in a house of prayer. I'm right. doing a magazine sharing the Holy <laughs> yep. Spirit and the yep. miraculous signs of God. And so the man started praying the presence of God became so heavy in this Uber. He's high on cocaine, but he said he knew he wasn't high because the pressure and the presence of God was so strong. He fell to the floorboard of this Uber driver's car and started weeping and crying and saying, Father, God, man, quit quit praying for me. God is God. <laughs> so it was bad, man. 15 years, 15 years, Stephen went in and out of drugs, alcohol, lots of brushes with the law and just continued uh, self-destruction. I think that's the worst part for parents and grandparents. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're, you know, being defiant. It's that they're making self-destructive choices, Roger, that could cost them their future, their destiny. Yes, yes. By that, that is powerful. And of all the places, I mean, for God to meet him, you know, through a man of the cloth, as my brother would say, um, I just, that's such a beautiful story, a great story of redemption. Lane Lawson Craft is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Parent's Battle Plan, Warfare Strategies to Win Back Your Prodigal. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the tools for the battle a little bit more. And then, uh, you know, how do you see the change and welcome it when it does show up. We're going to talk about that with Lane Lawson Craft in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and before we go any further, I should mention, aren't Good News Fridays a lot of fun when we have freebies to give away? I, I love having Good News Fridays with free stuff to give away. Uh, the topic of our discussion, I mean, it's certainly it's good news, but it's not easy news to wander through. Uh, Lane La Lawson Craft is my guest. She has written a story about what it was like for her and her husband with three kids that were raised in the church and should have known better and all had pretty wild prodigal experiences. Her book is called The Parent's Battle Plan, Warfare Strategies to Win Back Your Prodigal because it is spiritual warfare that's driving them away from you and the faith. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and we have not one but two copies of this book to give away right now. 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we've got two copies of the book by Lane Lawson Craft called The Parents' Battle Plan. And remember, this spiritual warfare that we're in, it is real. So you need a warfare strategy to win back your prodigal. There's no guarantee that a certain timetable is going to be upheld. Uh, Lord knows how long it's going to take. But trust me, as we've been discussing these uh, battle-tested principles, um, I'm sure that you could resonate with what it's like. And, and I'll share with you, I mean, just personally, I mean, not anecdotally, I mean, I've lived it. Um, have three wonderful biological kids, and then Lisa and I have a blended family, so I've got three bonus kids as well. We both of us just say we are the parents of six. That's where it is. And I'll tell you, I mean, when you think about what it means to be a young adult in today's culture, all six of them have very different journeys. There are some similarities that they've gone through. And all six of them have had moments where you just kind of look and said, how did you go off the rails like that? I don't get it. It just, it isn't making any sense to me. And, you know, it, sometimes it's not a question of a lack of faith. All of them have had, you know, church experiences, grew up in the church, um, baptized believers when they were young of their own volition. It wasn't like mom and dad. We, we weren't infant baptizers in our family growing up. And um, I, that's a whole separate topic of conversation. But it's been interesting to see how each of the kids has gone through a season of maybe two or three years where they weren't connected to a church at all where they had kind of hitched their wagon to some other kind of ideology spiritually. And you begin to wonder, okay, did not did it take necessarily, but um, what, what led them, knowing that they have the foundation that they do, to wander away? And it's a, you know, I, I can think of a couple of seasons where one of my kids, one of my biological kids in particular, uh, went through high school and then in young adult years, where just basically not saying, you know, forget it to the church but just really had no interest in it and uh it's wonderful to see her thriving right now uh spiritually but you know it's amazing how god brings prodigals back it definitely is warfare and lane lawson craft is giving us some great pointers on what to do with the battle plan a brand new book that we're giving away today here on this good news friday edition of the bottom line 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through we have two copies of the book to give away more of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues you can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years? After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Lane Lawson Craft is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Lane is the author of the brand new book called The Parents' Battle Plan, Warfare Strategies to Win Back Your Prodigal. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Lane and her husband, Steve, have three children, and all of them have screwed up. 
royally. I have three children. All of them have, I mean, let's face it. If we, one of the best things you could do as a parent, right, is to look at your spouse and say, you know what? All of our kids have the capacity to do really dumb things. I mean, yeah. we love them, but I love the visual you have of praying over your kids and literally brushing the blood of the lamb on them. I mean, on we, we talk about this, the blood will never lose its power. We see the Passover story and realize that the angel of death wouldn't go near the places where the blood of the lamb had been. And it's just a, it's a powerful reminder. And yet how many parents are saying, I can't do that because you have a chapter in the book that I'd love for you to talk about because it, it's one of my favorite topics as the parent, my wife and I have blended family. We have three, uh, excuse me, three kids each. So six kids that are all either yeah. millennials or generation Z. And we have, this is the question we ask each other often and with great passion, are we helping or are we enabling? Wow. And, and you know what? That's probably the biggest question. And we too had that. And boy, yeah. did we mess that up. I mean, so this is what I call it. I think it's evicting enablement. You know, how yeah. do mm -hmm. we get rid of enabling our children? Very tough, tough place to be. But listen, uh, this is the critical thing you must hear today. When your child is making these self-destructive choices, the only way to get a change in behavior, attitudes, whatever, is we have got to take authority, number one. Number one, we've got to take authority as the parents. You know, our culture today, Roger, says be best friends with your kids. Be best right. friends. Well, you can't be best friends with your kid and be a great parent. I want you to be close. Don't get me wrong. But you've got to have the bottom line <laughs> and you've got to have the last word. And authority. So first and foremost, ask yourself, do I want to keep this chaos going on or do I want to take back my authority? And I feel like I need to say this too. Uh, my mother gave me wisdom a long time ago. And she said, you know, Lane, as a parent, you can change the rules anytime you want. Mm -hmm. So I love to tell parents, man, start praying with, your, you know, the paintbrush of yep. blood. Um, partner with God in your own life. Go, God, listen, you help me with this kid. And then the third thing, change rules, you know, shift it back in your place. And mm -hmm. so let's get practical. So, okay, you got a defiant kid. I go into a lot about we have necessities and privileges. And mm -hmm. a lot of our kids, Roger, they think that phone and that dance <laughs> and that car are absolute necessities. Yeah. But they're privileges. So you sit down and you say, hey, guys, you haven't been in your curfew, coming in at curfew. You've been driving drunk again. Uh, you've lied to me. You didn't go to church, whatever those things are. And say, we're going to sit down and I'm going to give you a warm bed and I'm going to give you food. But beyond that, everything else is a privilege. You go into that sports event, you driving the car, you holding that iPhone, start taking these away. Let me, let me tell you, Roger, do any of us change without getting uncomfortable? Right. Yeah. No, there's no way. There's no way you go to the gym, you lift the weights, you come home that day and your arms hurt. I mean, that's hurt. Just, yeah. Yes. Hurt, hurt, yes. especially the first couple of times. But <laughs> as we're talking, boy, Lane Lawson Craft is preaching a healthy gospel for us as parents for those times when, I'm not saying if, when, because yeah. it seems in this culture, you know, our kids are going to do crazy things. They're going to wander away from the faith. They may wind up at a bar high on cocaine. I mean, you never can tell. But in her book, The Parents Battle Plan, she gives us some strategies for dealing with this. Now, Link, you talked about the fact that, like in your son Stephen's case, God intervened supernaturally with a pastor Uber driver, which is fantastic. But there are sometimes when 
bad things happen and there is not a simple solution or God doesn't intervene supernaturally. Talk about how parents can find community with other parents. They can, you know, handle those worst case scenarios a little more effectively. Cause I can imagine for some, if you've been dealing with this 10, 15 years, once you hit that really bottom out point, you're thinking I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Well, listen, I'm, I'm also ministering or guiding parents, Roger, that might have literally lost a child. You know, we've got this one pill that can mm -hmm. kill. Uh, this fentanyl uh, poisoning is rampant and they're fixing to open the borders up and we are going to see more fentanyl. Do you know there's more fentanyl in our country right now that it will kill everybody in America five times? Oh That's my the gosh. last you know, staggering. Wow. And, and what this is, so everyone understands, these are good kids. This this isn't a drug addict kid. This is a kid at a party. And so it used to be we might take a shot of tequila or have a cigarette. Now mm -hmm. it's a pill. So these kids pull out a pill and say, hey, y'all, if you want to sleep good tonight, y'all have been mm -hmm. studying for your med exam or your yeah. LSAT. You know, these kids are brilliant. These are good kids. Um, they go to sleep and they don't wake up. So I'm telling you, we've got to really know that these are urgent things we've got to put into place. But I put a chapter in the book, Roger, for a parent, because I thought it would be very Pollyanna or really not doing God's due diligence. If I didn't talk about when we lose the miracle we were asking for. Yeah. And if I go into the miracle is that we can survive beyond our kid, because many of us have multiple children like you. And it's a war on all of them, not just one of our kids with this one touch from everything, you know, technology has changed everything. Our kids yes. are one click from a bad picture coming in or out, one click from a drug deal, one click from somebody bullying them so bad that they want to commit suicide. I mean, come on. So all of this to say, let's, so we, we do talk about that in the book. I talk really intimately about the Lord is with you, even in the worst, and that it is a miracle that you are still moving forward. Yeah. And I encourage them to continue to battle for the rest of their families. So mm. what do we do 15 years into it, man? Well, there's four C's in the modern, in the modern, um, like counseling, they talk about the three C's. So ask yourself today, did I cause it? Can I cure it? And can I control it? Mm. And nine out of 10 times, and I'm just gonna say, I would say, 10 out of 10 for me. I couldn't control it. I didn't mm -hmm. cause it and I can't cure it. So I had the Christian part of that, the spiritual part of that. And that is then cast it over to God. So mm. I call it the four C's. Mm -hmm. So man, if your kid's 15 years into it and you've loved them and you're praying for them and you're living the life of obedience and blessings that the Lord has asked you to, and your kid's still on that prodigal road, then you go to God and you cast it to him. And you say, listen, devil, you may be fighting my son, but you're not going to fight and take my joy today. Amen. I'm, I've got a life too. I've got <laughs> yeah. other kids, a wife. Yeah. Mm, I love it. But that, that, so you, you look at the situation and you ask yourself, did I cause it? You know, can I cure it? Uh, what was the third C before we get into cast it over? Cause, cure, control. Control, right. And then, and then I've added the fourth C. I told all my counseling yeah. friends, God gave me the revelation. If those are all, no, I didn't cause it. No, I can't cure it. No, I can't control it. Then cast it to him. Yeah. You cast all your cares to him because he cares for you and he wants what's best for you and your child. But he is going to allow the consequences of certain circumstances, and we have to be ready for that. Uh, Lane Lawson Craft is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The Parents Battle Plan is the name of the book. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Lane, 90 seconds left in our conversation. One of our listeners right now is saying, okay, I'm going to get this book. I'm going to read it. I'm going to be encouraged. And then I'm going to deal head on and 
presto, God delivers, God shows up, not because they followed all the principles of your book necessarily, but because he did. And now it's a new season. It's a new day. What's the best next step that they can take? Well, you first celebrate and then also temper your expectations. Mm, It's been a long time coming. It's hard. Remember, it's hard. So there may be some backslides, but don't panic. You know, a righteous man falls, but he gets back up. So encourage parents, don't panic. Don't go back to old mindsets. Just celebrate the good steps. Talk about the good turnaround. And then I do want to say one more thing, Roger, you know, we don't realize, but God was the original father of a prodigal. He mm. brought Adam and Eve as his children into the world, gave them a beautiful place to live, fed Good them point. and said, just don't do this one thing. <laughs> and what did they do? One Go thing. Yeah. So his heart breaks for you. He he knows what it's like, but he also has trusted you. This is what I tell every parent. God gave you these kids to steward. He's your partner. So partner with him. Pray, position yourself in authority, and then do those four C's and believe with full expectation that your child will come back and you can celebrate. Excellent. Excellent advice and a great way for us to conclude our conversation today. Lane Lawson Craft has been my guest. The brand new book is called The Parents Battle Plan, Warfare Strategies to Win Back Your Prodigal. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's not a guarantee, but it's the best blueprint you're going to find for helping to speak the truth of Christ and the truth of the gospel into the lives of those kids who know better, but they've wandered away for one reason or another because the culture has influenced them. Lane, great to get to know you. Thank you for your passion for this project. And thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Well, what a powerful conversation and what a beneficial one too. I really appreciate uh, Lane Lawson Craft and her authenticity about what she went through as a mom with three very wayward prodigals and, uh, and how authentic she is about sharing what those struggles are. She's put together her success strategies for what she and her husband were able to uh, implement and see some good fruit come from it. The book is called The Parent's Battle Plan, Warfare Strategies to Win Back Your Prodigal. We've got two copies to give away here on this Good News Friday, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And Crystal will be happy to take your call. Now, speaking of kids and keep speaking of prodigals, one of the reasons why, one of the chief reasons why kids do wander away in their faith isn't because they went to some secular university and when they were 18 or 19, one philosophy class changed their whole mind. A lot of times it's because kids who grow up in the faith, so to speak, and grow up in the church, don't always get the tools they need to be able to figure out why they believe what they believe. Uh, Jay Warner Wallace has been doing cold case Christianity for years, and he's written an outstanding book called God's Crime Scene for Kids, Investigate Creation with a Real Detective. You want to, this is a perfect example of how you can be teaching your kids at a very young age the creation story in a fun crime scene manner. I'm going to revisit my conversation with Jay Warner Wallace about that topic coming up next as the bottom line continues. Special guest, special for me. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm fanboying right now, as they say in the industry, because Jay Warner Wallace is sitting across the table from me. We've had phone conversations before, but we've never had a chance to meet. So it, yeah. welcome to the it's, bottom line, well, Jim Wallace. Thanks for having. Is this crazy? Here we are, living not but 35 minutes from if each that, other. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, I would do that for you. Well, okay. That's right. that's what I did. Me too, brother. You did that's it for me. That's, that's the, the only thing. reason why you're here. That's right. Coldcasechristianity.com is the website, and of course, Jay Warner Wallace is the cold case Christianity guy. For someone who's never yeah. heard of your work before. 
Uh, give us a 60-second yeah, overview. I, mean, I, was, I was a, not a Christian growing up, and so I used my, my, my process that I used for evaluating eyewitnesses. I would, by the time I got interested in the Bible, I was already working homicides and other kinds of cases. So I had a system in place that I would use to evaluate eyewitness testimony. And that's what I did. I applied that to the New Testament Gospels, and that's what got me interested in them to begin with and, and why I'm probably, well, this is why I'm a Christian today. I don't, I don't think you're going to become a Christian by examining. You get to believe that mm-hmm. something is true. But yeah. once you believe that the Gospels, the New Testament are, is reliable, that, that sets the, the kind of the benchmark for everything else you do. I started to realize that it was not only telling me the truth about Jesus, it was telling me the truth about me. Mm. And that's what shifted me toward becoming a Christian because I realized I had a need for a savior that was pretty obvious if I had paid attention to it. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't been paying attention to it and the, and the gospels kind of and the New Testament in general helped me to see who I was. You just hit on something that I want to circle back around to because yeah. it's, it's based on a comment that you made last time we were talking but we said we spend so much time in the culture focusing on kids in college losing their faith and you said no they lose it in fourth grade right. and we, we just find out about it right. when they're in college. But the thing that you were talking about just now, talking about your faith, about how you study Jesus and you know the forensic analysis right. that you bring to it, and then say, and then I had to start studying me. Right. And I wonder how many people, because I know people in clergy, you know, who are, are saying, okay, this is all, this is what God is, this is who God is, and everything like that. So as long as you're okay with that, you, there's no focus on themselves. Yeah, yeah. So Should, shouldn't a good study of Jesus lead to a well, good study well, look, of us? You, nobody, uh, if you don't think you need a Savior, then the offer of a Savior really is, is somehow diminished, right? right I mean, you might right. accept Him as Savior, but until you recognize your own need, not only that, I think that we can spend a lot of time as leaders, as church leaders, um, helping our people see the need to, 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 to adopt the nature of Jesus. And we, don't you see that a lot? Where we're talking about, well, this is the way we ought to behave or respond and it turns out that if I focus on just me and my response or how I'm supposed to respond, that's probably not going to get me there. What, what helps me to get there, though, is that when I focus on what Jesus did for me, mm-hmm. my own level of sin, like what he had to do for, like, you, how can you respond with anything other yeah. than a response of joy where I now have more tolerance for other people's uh, mistakes when I realize that, oh, my gosh, I mean, do I, do I think I'm mistakeless? Do I, did I think I was mistakeless and couldn't tolerate somebody else? It turns out that I become much more forgiving once I recognize my own need for forgiveness. So even if I was a church leader who was focused on helping my people to become more forgiving, mm-hmm. I think it's going to start with, do you recognize who you are and what mm-hmm. Jesus had to do in order to pay the price for who you are? Um, that helps me to, to kind of keep it all in perspective. Mm. But look, you're not going to get there if you don't think that Jesus either never lived or you can't trust what the Bible tells you about Jesus or that Jesus lived and he was something less than described on the pages of the New Testament. He was maybe a, a wise rabbi, but he certainly didn't rise from the grave and didn't work miracles and wasn't born of a virgin. I mean, there's lots of ways that people try to dissect the person of Jesus to make him something that he's not mm. in order to live the life they want to live and, and really reject the gospel altogether. It takes a lot of work to do that, doesn't it? Yeah, but you know, it's, it's easy work because the tail that wags the dog often is just our own sense of desire mm-hmm. and our fallen nature. So I always say this about young people, that why would you think that that's not what's the tail that's wagging the dog? Look, if, if I'm in college and I'm 19 and if I'm just a young adult or I'm a young, uh, 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 somebody in high school, let's say, and, I, and there's a worldview out there that will allow me to chase my passions without restriction, mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to be inclined toward that worldview because yeah. it allows me to do the thing I wanted to do anyway. Mm-hmm. So even if it requires some some bit of, of, of denial, 
um, I'm willing to do it because it gives it achieves the greater end, which is that I want to be my own God, make my own decisions, mm -hmm. and chase my own passions without feeling bad. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. You hear me calling him Jim from time to time because he lets me do that. Well, because, you know, there's a Jim Wallace from Sojourners yes. that I get mistaken for on yes, the radio because no, the name sounds the same. But, but no one would ever mistake you for Jim Wallace well, from Sojourners I mean, if they actually sat down and compared worldviews. Well, I can tell you a funny story about that. Okay. We were both at a, uh, a, a law enforcement reform uh, committee meeting in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. It was right after the election, and we all go in and want to talk about law reform, law reform, legal reform. And uh, I see on the, on the table, there's Jim Wallace's. He spells his name W-A-L-L-I-S. Mm -hmm. And I saw his name was there. He's going to be there. I said, oh, great. So when he walked in the room, I walked over. He's from Sojourners in Washington, D.C. And I said, hey, my name is also Jim Wallace. And just want you to know, you're the reason why I had to change it to Jay Warner Wallace, <laughs> because I was being confused for you. Uh -huh. And we had a, he laughed about it. And then, but then from that point on during the day, I could see we maybe weren't aligned on every yeah. view of, yeah. of how we would respond to certain things. But at the same time, I love the fact that there's so much diversity. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can even hold, I'm not sure what his positions are, but even two people who can hold orthodox positions related to the theology of Jesus mm -hmm. might hold different inferences onto how we ought to leverage that in culture. Yes. So I'm, I'm, I understand that, and Excellent I just want point. to be gracious, yeah. again, sure. that we may not agree on how it flesh, fleshes out uh -huh. in culture, even though we might agree on principally on the theology related to orthodoxy, let's say. You know? I love the way your mind works, Jim Wallace, because you can you can parse that out for it, and you do uh, parse, parse that out for us so very, very easily and succinctly. Shouldn't every Christian be able to do that? Well, I, I, I think what I'm... This is a thinking person's worldview, right? Mm -hmm. I think it should be. And it certainly seems that Jesus thought it was a thinking person's worldview. Think about the rich amount of information that Jesus of Nazareth provided for us in just three years of public ministry that ended up being the hinge point that changed all the course of human history. Mm. That's got to be somebody who's smart. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that's how he was pitched to me to begin with. The pastor that got me interested said he was the smartest man who ever lived. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that if part of that tradition ought to be that we ought to be thinkers who, number one, can think deeply about the sermons of Jesus, the information that Jesus gave us. This is why, for example, I, Roger, I don't spend a lot of time talking about politics. Mm -hmm. And uh, not that I'm not politically interested, of course I am, but I think it's downstream from two other things that are more important. Is the Bible true? Mm -hmm. And should we take it seriously? Because what I'm seeing is there's either people who don't agree with us on political issues because, right. number one, they don't trust the Bible as a source of information anyway. They don't think it's true. Okay, mm -hmm. fine. But then there are people within the Christian tradition who don't take it seriously enough not to just cherry-pick out a verse to, mm -hmm. to make it serve their purpose. Right, right. Right? They're not reading within context. They're not developing a rich, connected theology that kind of makes sense of every passage of Scripture rather than just cherry-pick something. If people thought it was true and took it seriously, we'd probably end up in much the same place on mm -hmm. all the cultural issues in, mm -hmm. in, in the world. Yeah. But because we don't always—that's why I spend time on the first two issues. Is it true? Should we take it seriously? And I let the, the, the downstream else, stuff stay downstream. It'll sort itself out. Yeah. Uh, Jay Warner Wallace, Jim Wallace, is here today on The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. ColdCaseChristianity.com is the website. And the books that you've written, Cold Case Christianity, Cold Case Christianity for Kids. Yes. Now, how was that received? Well, I, I think what's interesting about doing kids' books, it's been the, the best, right? We the, the most satisfying thing, of course, is working with kids. I, I, I use it as a, as a youth pastor. I remember learning something from my lead pastor I never forgot. And here's what it was. He said, look, you, I'm hiring you as a youth pastor. And I've learned this a lot of years ago when he was a youth pastor. People can't help but love the people who love their kids. Hmm. 
And if you will just love on these kids, you'll not only gain the kids, you'll also gain their parents yes. who love the fact that you love on their kids. Yes. Um, and I think that's true for writing books as well. If you love the church, we at some point have to write content for the kids in the church. Because I think all of us as parents, we worry that, that you know, our, my bigger concerns are, are for my kids. Even mm -hmm. now, as they're all adults, I still, you, you never stop worrying about your kids, right? right. So, so I, we, we knew, Susie and I knew we needed to turn and focus on to inoculate kids before they hear crazy from the Internet, mm -hmm. or before they hear the outrageous claims against Christianity. We wanted to give them the truth in a more robust way. So those kids are those kids' books are like for eight to twelve year olds. I really think we have to do the heavy lifting in that eight to twelve range before they are in junior high, before they are exposed. Because let's face it, the minute let's put it this way: don't give your kids a cell phone or allow them access to other kids who have cell phones mm -hmm. until you have first inoculated them from what they're going to encounter online, or you're just setting yourself up for failure. And so that's why we're, we're trying to write for that age group. Well, I think the books are fantastic, and you'll find a complete listing of them at the website, coldcasechristianity.com. You'll see it, just a, a, a treasure trove of material from uh, books, uh, podcasts, curriculum, teaching outlines, all sorts of things. It's all there at coldcasechristianity.com. Jay Warner Wallace, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we we'll talk about a new project that he's working on right now right. that I'm sure is consuming most of his thinking and waking hours because you've got a deadline due, and you're going to meet that deadline. I, I know so. you are. Okay, we'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You've been in an accident, and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own, and by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often, even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. So glad you tuned in today because it's one of those double winner Good News Friday programs. And it's great as we are celebrating, of course, the first anniversary of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Officially, that celebration day is tomorrow. Uh, we've got a great conversation going on with Jay Warner Wallace talking about God's Crime Scene for Kids, a great book that helps you investigate creation with a real detective. If you want to teach your kids about why creation versus evolution is the biblical as well as the scientific model, this is a great resource to have for your kids or grandkids. And I've got a copy to give away here of this book, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. If you've got a prodigal at home, we've got you covered there too with Lane Lawson Craft's book, The Parent's Battle Plan, Warfare Strategies to Win Back Your Prodigal. Two copies of that book we're giving away between now and the top of the hour, so you better hurry and get in on that phone call. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. 
you know, whether it's cold case Christianity, you know, being able to look at the evidence or a successful spiritual warfare battle plan, it is fascinating to know we worship God in spirit and in truth. And we can experience what God has done for us in and through us in the physical realm as well as in the spiritual realm. And one of the areas that I think we're celebrating today as we commemorate the one-year anniversary of the overturning of Roe versus Wade is that it really, it didn't eliminate abortion in this country. We knew it wouldn't. What it did was it gave we the people the opportunity that, to then say on the state level, this is what we want, this is what we don't want. And quite frankly, 22 states have passed legislation or had legislation in place to basically outlaw abortion, or most of it, if not all of it. And another 20-something states have passed measures that strengthen abortion rights, if you will, for other people. Do you see what's happening here? I mean, people say, that's awful. We're a nation divided. Well, yeah, we're a nation divided. You know why? Because we're not divided by pro-abortion or anti-abortion. We're not divided by Republican or Democrat. We're not divided by black or white or brown or pink, not LGBTQ or not. We're divided, quite frankly, by who are called and chosen disciples, who are the children of the living God and who are not. And our mandate is not to take the whole world and make them Americans who are Republicans. Our mandate is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And may we use this day as an opportunity to praise God for his faithfulness, for allowing us to have a temporal law that upholds the right, the sanctity of human life as God intended it to be. But then taking it a step further to say, now we're not just trying to make everyone pro-life, we're trying to make everyone pro-eternal life by preaching the good news of the gospel. That is good news, and that's the bottom line for that. Uh, for our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming your way next. For those who remain on the network, the conclusion of my conversation with Jay Warner Wallace and God's Crime Scene for Kids, how to teach your children a fun way and kind of a crime scene investigation to discover the truth about creation and the way God intended it. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. We're back here with Jay Warner Wallace here on The Bottom Line Show. I, Jay Warner, not Warner. Well, I just call you Jim. Yeah, just okay. call me Jim. It's so, so easy. Jim right? Wallace, coldcasechristianity.com is the website. Roger Marsh here. We're in Nashville at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Just getting caught up. I mean, yeah. you're, you're you're kind of in between projects right now, so it's not I like am. you're selling a book or a movie. Of course, yeah. after your big screen uh, debut, oh, in, uh, well, you, you want know, more of that, I will you? tell you, I don't even like the whole marketing aspect of, so it, nobody has an idea that they think is powerful, that, that even a biblical truth that mm -hmm. they don't want to share. And, sure. and you don't write a book because you want no one to read it. And you mm -hmm. don't do a podcast or a radio show because you want no one to listen. So there's an aspect in which you, you want to maximize, if you've got the message you want to maximize, you yes. end up having to do something with that. But as an atheist, I was so suspicious of Christians who were always selling something. Right? Sure. Like I suspected that was their motive. So for me, what I did intentionally, and I was asked to come out of my work earlier, I was working with Stand to Reason, which is a ministry in Southern California, yes. an apologetics ministry, and Greg Kokel, who leads that, mm -hmm. took me to dinner and said, hey, so can you retire right now? I said, yeah, but I mean, I, I'm not in a position financially. I, mean, I should wait a few years before. So you mean to tell me? that you would rather make a few more percentage on your retirement than serve the kingdom of God. This is what he says to me. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, Greg, uh, yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, I said, because I knew that I wanted to get to a position where I was not motivated I had no financial concerns yes. related to ministry. Mm -hmm. So I'm living on my pension. People say, well, how can I do what you do? Well, you have to get a pension first because yes. I don't really do what I do for a living either. So mm -hmm. so now I can make decisions that I hope are more ministry related. You know, mm -hmm. what, what do I think is more impactful? But yeah, you're in between projects. You're always, when you write a book, 
you have to do some spend some time. It's, it's, look, I always say it this way: anyone can write a book. Mm -hmm. The trick is getting someone to read it. Yes. And oh, the that's work good. is far more engaging. It's far more difficult to do the second thing than mm -hmm. it is to do the first thing. Amen. So, so yeah. So I'm writing another book, and what we're trying to do is we're taking a look at. Uh, again, we're using illustrations from my criminal work. You know, there's times when you have a case where there's no crime scene. You get there, uh, you're six years after the fact. I've had a number of nobody missings. So in mm. other words, he says that his wife ran off and uh, we don't work as a homicide, we work as a missing persons. And six years later, she never, come, never came back. Mm. And now we realize this is a homicide. Oh my God. But now there's no crime scene. He sold the house, he, yeah. he broke everything down. There's no, there's no evidence in a crime scene to look at. So now how do you solve this case when you've got no body, not even a body, nothing, mm. nothing and no evidence in a crime scene, well, you have to work on everything that precedes the, and, and follows the crime. And that's the approach I'm taking with the next book. I'm just trying to figure out, hey, could you make a case for the historicity, the existence, and the deity of Christ if you had no New Testament at all? Mm. I think you could. Yes. Like if you had a nobody missing. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to do the case like I have a nobody missing. And the reason why I'm doing that is because I've already written about the stuff in the crime scene. That's called cold case Christianity. Yes. So now I'm writing about everything that's not in the crime scene. And I just think it'll be helpful for people. And I think it's also a very unique approach in the sense that if you didn't have this criminal approach I'm taking, this investigative approach I'm taking, which is very unique for nobody missing cases, mm -hmm. I don't think you could build this case. No. But if you know how to do that in front of a jury, and I've done that twice now in front of a jury, um, you can actually make a case. And that's what we're trying to do. Coldcasechristianity.com is the website where you find all the information about what Jay Warner Wallace is working on. I'm Roger Marsh, and Jim Wallace is here with us. That I, I love this concept for a couple of different reasons, but the first one that jumped into my mind was there are a whole group of people that are called God's chosen people who think that the 39 books of the Bible that don't include the New Testament, right. that, that's the Bible. Yeah. And so you're saying that you are basically... I'm trying to, 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 I'm trying to say, hey, what would you know about Jesus if there was no New Testament at all? Mm -hmm. And what would have given you an inclination that you ought to be looking for Jesus right. uh, prior to his appearing? So, yeah. so there's lots of ways to approach that. Um, but I'm just trying to stay within a lane that is purely invest... Is my invest... Look, I'll get it this way. Um, <laughs> each of us is gifted differently. Yes. They have something from our toolbox that is unique to us that we could use. Mm -hmm. And although there's tons of apologetics books that are written with language, like investigative, detective, or courtroom language, mm -hmm. they're never written by people who have actually worked a criminal case and right. then taken it to trial. And so I want to be able to bring some reality to that, right? There's some mm -hmm. things, for example, that I do not consider to be good evidence that other people have thought was good evidence. I always think, well, that's not going to fly in front of a jury. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Some of the prophecies, I don't spend a lot of time on my website, for example, talking about all the Old Testament prophecies related to Jesus, because I have a sense that um, some of that would be powerful in front of a jury, but not all of it. Mm. And I want to be able to, to, to know the difference and share the difference with people, although I think there is a very good case you can make from prophecy. Mm -hmm. I know the way I would make it in front of a jury that would circumvent any effort of the defense attorney to mitigate what I'm saying. In mm -hmm. other words, I know if I pitch it a certain way in front of a jury, yeah. I just open myself up for attack from the defense attorney. Sure. So I'm always trying to think ahead. Well, what would the attack be? Let's just don't do that. And we, we deny him the opportunity to say anything bad about our evidence. So that's kind of the approach I take with all my books is, hey, what is the strongest case we can offer? And why would we, I'll give me an example of this. Uh, I love the Shroud of Turin. I'm so intrigued by the Shroud of Turin, but because I think it's right on the fence, I'm not a hunt, I think there's a ways to attack the Shroud mm -hmm. if I'm a skeptic mm -hmm. that could be powerful 
I don't include it in my evidence set. I, it's not uncommon for to have 50 pieces of evidence but only go to trial with 30. Right. Because the 20 could be argued either way. I'm not mm-hmm. going to let the jury do that. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to go with the... Now, if they want to bring those 20 in, I'm going to show how they can work with our case. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to bring them in so they can show how it works with their case. I want to make sure I stay with the 30 strongest pieces. How do you, Jim Wallace, I, I, I'm I fascinated with your mind. You talk about your lane. Your lane, to me, is the Indy 500. I mean, it's just it's a racetrack where you go faster than I can even keep up well, with it. Well, you're very kind, but it's just it's, it's anything that a stupid, if a cop like me can mm-hmm. figure this out, it's only because it's been beaten into me over a number of cases. Trust well, me. Well, well where, where I was going with that was, okay, how many people do you know, and I, I know them too, where you're talking about, evidence and a case and making the case for Christ but presenting that well that's another book but I mean yes. presenting all that and saying what am I going to put in what am I going to leave out God didn't say okay push this button pull yes. this lever I it's, know. he's given us all the tools and it's and puts it for each of us to say right. you present it this way you present it that way how can we as the in the body of Christ do a better job of doing what you're just talking about well I think about? it's so biblical look when Peter's at Pentecost and he's preaching you notice he leaves some details out and mm-hmm. he only uses some based on his audience. Yeah. When Paul is on an Acts 17 on Mars Hill, he takes a slightly different approach. Leaving, he's selecting from the palette of evidences mm-hmm. what he's going to use given the context of the culture in which he's working. Yeah. He speaks differently on Mars Hill than he does to Agrippa. He, he's, he's contextualizing everything based on what he knows about his audience. And that's what we're doing with jurors. Look, I don't. These aren't, these aren't twelve strangers to me. Mm-hmm. I've, I've number one. I've, I've impaneled those twelve. I, I did rich, involved surveys. Sometimes twenty pages of surveys for each one. I know their entire personal history. Mm. They've had to answer twenty pages of questions before we picked from a pool of seventy the twelve that are in the box and the four that are alternates. I know those sixteen people. I've got my own concerns about. I feel like I know them personally, and it's in the context of what who I know them to be that I pick out a way to present. With, with the DA, oh, how are we going to present to that 16? Look, if we had a different 16, we might present this differently. Mm-hmm. But because we know the 16 we've got, we choose how to present the case. Well, this is true for all of us. You know, the problem, I think, for most of us, when we talk about God with our friends and family, is we're, like, treating them like a, like a, like a kind of like a, an amalgamous, kind of a homogenous yeah. group. Instead right? of people we actually know. Right. These yeah. are like, like, you know this person, and yeah. you know what's going to make them mad or make her mad, or, or you know your kids, what they're going to tune out, what they're not going to, you know what interests them. I mean, mm-hmm. I try to speak in those areas where I know my kids are interested, or look for those moments when I can leverage something they're interested in toward the gospel. Mm. I wish we could capture your enthusiasm and market it everywhere. Well, I mean, you're enth- look, here's the, thing, the last thing I'll say about that. Yeah. Enthusiasm is based on all of us are enthusiastic about something. Right. The question is, are, is this the thing we're enthusiastic? You already know. People who are listening to this right now, they already know how to make a case for their favorite dessert or what their favorite show on Netflix is and mm-hmm. why I should not spend time watching that show. They'll mm-hmm. give a three-point reason case why I should not watch that show. Really? So we can defend shows on Netflix and our favorite f- football team and our favorite basketball team, but we can't defend our, our God. Yeah. I think we have to kind of shift our priorities. Yeah, and you have to be able to do it too. There's a, a, a scientific expert that also likes the show Stranger Things. And so That's right. we, we had a conversation where he can do the, the scientific side of That's the right. explanation of God, but the other, here are the biblical principles oh, of Stranger Things. Absolutely. I'm like, well, good for you. Yeah, That's absolutely. It. That's what you're talking about yes. doing. Um, Jay Warner Wallace, The time went by much too quickly. It always does. Um, one of these days we can do this face-to-face in our studio. Yes, no kidding. But uh, nonetheless, uh, congratulations on the book, and I'm praying, and our listeners will pray too, that you can meet the deadline. Uh, yes. Because I know you're not one of those guys who goes, well, I missed the deadline. 
deadline. Who no, cares? No, I can't miss a deadline. You just can't have, do it. I have no choice. I have to make the deadline. <laughs> You've got to do it. Sure. Everything has and to you, stop until it's done. That's yeah. right. Well, good good for you for doing that. Keep writing, and thanks for blessing us today. Thanks for the having me. Line. I appreciate it, Roger. And that concludes my conversation with Jay Warner Wallace, Jim, as we know him, <laughs> good friends, and uh, the great book that he wrote for kids. Uh, actually wrote the book a, a while ago, and it's still a bestseller, like 500 five-star ratings for this book. It's called God's Crime Scene for Kids. Investigate creation with a real detective. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. If you have kids, if you have grandkids, and you want to have a fun activity with them, this is a great resource to have. I only have one copy here on this Good News Friday to give away, but it could be yours. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we have one copy of God's Crime Scene for Kids by J. Warner Wallace to give away. Uh, it, it's, if you've read Cold Case Christianity for Kids, you know, the Cold Case Christianity, the adult version, then he did a kid version. Uh, this is kind of a companion piece. And uh, the story continues where Jason, our lead character, uncovers a mystery in his grandma's attic and his friends Hannah, Daniel, and Jasmine enlist the help of Detective Jeffries at the Junior Detectives Academy. And they, they not only discover, investigate the mystery and the evidence for God's existence, but they also, this is key, develop the skills to do so. Brothers and sisters, and I learned this from Jim years ago. He said, uh, he said in many of our conversations together, when we read about uh, kids going off to university, you know, they grew up in a Christian home, president of the youth group, Bible study leader, blah, 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 mission trips all over the world. You know, and then they go to college and one semester later and they dyed their hair pink and they're LGBTQ identifying and, and, and they just, they basically want nothing to do with biblical Christianity. And he said, you know, the first time he told me this, I was floored because it makes perfect sense. He said, those kids didn't lose their faith in college. They lost their faith in third grade. There was something that happened with them where, you know how Jesus talks about the seed being sown in the hearts of sinful people. He doesn't have an age limit on those, by the way. You know, he talks about the seed and the sower. Some of the seed gets spilled on the road. Some of the people, the seed goes into uh the, the hard rock area, you know, where it's tough to get roots established. Some goes where in the thistles, where the weeds are, but some goes into a good crop and it produces a harvest of 160 and 30 times what you put in. Let him who has ears to hear, let them hear. And I think for us as parents, quite frankly, if you were the parents of four children, what scripture is telling you is that one of them is going to have a true and vibrant faith and the other three, it may be a faith that kind of is whisked away or it might get eaten up by the birds i mean the key for us is when the kids are young i mean really young you start talking about it when you're rising and when you're lying down you know your labor and your leisure and your laughter and your tears always talking about god talking about scripture bringing all those things back together so that your kids have a foundation of faith proverbs 22 6 train up a child in the way he should go or she and when they are older they will not depart from it. Now that doesn't mean when they get older that they won't test the waters a little bit, that they won't say, who needs to go to church on a regular basis? Or maybe I don't need to date somebody who's a Christian. Or you know, maybe I can consider different religions and see what they're all about. And quite frankly, I think testing different faiths is, is a healthy thing to do. But if you have a solid foundation of faith in Christ and you know that there's only one way and one truth and one life and that no one comes to the Father, no one gets to heaven, no one gets eternal whatever except through Jesus Christ. And that door is narrow. 
man, and God is just showing out in, in these last days as more and more people are coming to the surface. I, I, I saw this Twitter feed a couple of weeks ago and uh, this guy was talking about you know, the, all these pastors and members, members of clergy, so-called, who are being arrested in these sex trafficking stings. You know, thought they were going to be having a sexual encounter with a 15-year-old girl. It turned out to be an FBI agent. And they said, so therefore your faith is wrong. And, and a lot of commenters were saying, no, it's not our faith is wrong. These guys were using that faith as a shield to protect them, they thought, or give them access. Sometimes people go into youth ministry to be closer to younger people. It's, it's horrible. Everyone has to be on our guard. The church, if we've seen anything in the last, you know, with the Duggar story and the Hillsong story and everything, is that we in the body of Christ need to do a much better job of not just doing church, but actually discipling people. And uh, I, I'm grateful that Jim Wallace and the folks at uh, uh, Cold Case Christianity do such a fantastic job for people of all ages. This book, God's Crime Scenes for Kids, is a great read. And of course, as always, if, if you're reading it along with your grandkids, for example, you're going to learn something too. I mean, that's the that's the great thing about this is it's fun for them, but it's educational for you too. 800-227-5278. We have one copy of this book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we're going to take a look at a truly remarkable athletic accomplishment that has the hand of God all over it. And I want to highlight it because of the spiritual significance as well as just the truly incredible athletic achievement. Um, The two-mile run, a road race, has a new world record and hit it. I mean, the old one just is lying in the dust. I'll tell you about it coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. My thanks again to Jay Warner Wallace, the author of the book Cold Case Christianity and Cold Case Christianity for Kids. His uh, book that we are giving away today, God's Crime Scene for Kids, is a way for you to have a fun, whodunit, investigative reporting type of experience to teach your kids and grandkids about the truth about creation. We've got one copy of God's Crime Scene for Kids that we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, the number to call, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we celebrate the first anniversary of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, officially that is tomorrow, 
Um, I want to conclude today's edition of this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show with the Sanctity of Life story um, that is really just incredible. Um, you may not have known it if you didn't, if I've not shared this before, and you certainly wouldn't know it to look at me today. <laughs> but there was a season in life where I was actually a distance runner. And when I got into high school, I was trying to, actually, I wanted to make the baseball team or the tennis team. And a tennis team for my dad, baseball team for me. And so when we were, you know, sitting around the house during the summer, got a letter, remember those, from the cross-country coach. Said, I am Coach Jerry Whitaker. I'm the coach of the Foothill High School cross-country team. And I just wanted to see if your son, because they didn't have a girls team at the time, uh, your son would be interested in uh, going out for the cross-country team. It's a great way to get in shape. It's a good way to prepare for the winter and spring sports. And, I, and we're an award-winning program. So I thought, well, I want to get in shape for tennis. Let's go. So I literally went down to the school, got on my Schwinn Varsity 10 speed, rode a couple miles to the school. I was wearing tennis shoes. And we were supposed to go on a four-mile run. And um, that the veterans were going on a seven-mile run. I got lost and wound up going on the veterans route. And it took me well over an hour to, I had to run, walk it. And, you know, here I was by myself and I'm running like, you know, someone's going to see me. You know, I got to finish, I got to finish. I got home and then I got on my bike and pedaled <laughs> two more miles uphill to get home. The next morning when I got up out of bed, I fell over. I could not walk. My legs were so sore. It was awful. It was excruciating. I remember it was a summer day. My sister and brother and I played Monopoly, and I had to drag myself around upstairs. I couldn't go downstairs. They brought me food. It was I was pathetic. By Friday, I was up and moving again. And then, of course, Saturday, was we had to go do it because we were going to Magic Mountain or something like that. But I always have a, a great affinity for people who can run distances. And uh, in my later years, in my late 40s, early 50s, my daughter Kaylee and I uh, took to distance running and uh, got into a few uh, uh, half marathons. We completed six of them. And she actually ran a full marathon a couple of years ago. But when I saw this story about uh, Jacob Ingebrigtsen, or let's see, Ingebrigtsen, um, who was the gold medal winner in the 3,200-meter dash at the Tokyo Olympics two years ago. Um, he was running in Paris a week or so ago at, at the Diamond League Paris meet. And he ran the fastest. They had a two-mile race. You know, there's 1,600 meters, 3,200 meters, and then there's a classic mile and two-mile. If you remember Roger Bannister all those years ago, the sub four minute mile, truly remarkable. And he did it as a scientific experiment. He was a pre-med student and he was doing uh, tests on lung capacity and how much breathing you'd have to do, what your heart rate would have to be to run a mile in under four minutes. And he was the first guy to do it. Now, I mean, the world record is what, 330 something or whatever. People have been knocking that thing that time down for forever. But Jacob Ingebrigtsen, um, is the guy who won the metric two mile in the Tokyo Olympics two years ago. But at the Paris Diamond League meet, he did something that's incredible. Now, when we talk about the sub four minute mile, that was the gold standard at first, but then it became, you know, uh, pretty common. But what about a sub eight minute two mile? That would effectively be the equivalent of running a sub four minute mile twice. And not just twice, but in consecutive miles. It's not like, you know, I, I did this and then I did it again the next day. To do it in consecutive miles. I'm watching the video now of this guy, and it's amazing to see his pace. I've run the quarter. I've run the half. 
By the way, the 800 meters is the cruelest punishment any human being should ever have to endure. It's a sprint, but you have to go a half a mile at that sprint. I'm watching this kid run, and the world record, there's one guy, uh, Kenya's Daniel Coleman. On July 19, 1997, Daniel Coleman was the first guy to ever go under eight minutes in a two-mile race. He ran seven minutes, 58.61 seconds. Two weeks ago in Paris, Jacob Ingebrigtsen ran the two-mile in seven minutes, 54.1 seconds. Not only did he go sub-eight, he beat the world record by four full seconds. And I was watching him cross the finish line. I don't know. It didn't even look like he was breathing all that hard. Unbelievable. A sub eight, 754 for a two-mile run? How in the world is that even possible? Maybe the bigger question is, why is it important? We're going to talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls for Jim Wallace's book, the Jay Warner Wallace book, God's Crime Scene for Kids, about the investigation of creation. Uh, we've got one copy we're giving away, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, celebrating good news and the sanctity of life. I mean, if you're not a runner, the fact that uh, Kenya's Daniel Komen ran a sub eight minute two mile back in 1997 probably doesn't float your boat. And the fact that Jacob Ingebrigtsen of Norway just beat that world record two weeks ago by four seconds, seven minutes, 54 second, seven minutes and 54.1 seconds. What does that work out to for a mile? Like 320 something, it's incredible to run that kind of pace. But what do we say about running and why is running so important? Here's a young guy who ran the race of his life and did something that will probably never be you know, bettered. We see people in the world who are spending so much time trying to better themselves. Let's be a better athlete, lift more weight, run faster, jump higher, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at the annals of history, though, look at the record books for all the training and all the you know doping and everything else that they do, you have to wonder, what does it mean at the end of the day? What does your victory mean to you? All of us are running a race, brothers and sisters. And it's not a two mile, thank the Lord, because that's a brutal race. It's not a half mile, though there will be times when you're running the 800, you're running the mile. You're doing something that's just physically tough and challenging. You might be like uh, 
uh, Lane Lawson Craft, who had three prodigal kids. You're doing everything you possibly can, and God said, okay, today you're running the 800 with that one, you're running the mile with this one, and you're running the 10,000 meters with that one. And you may not feel like you're in good enough shape until you start doing the running and still running that race, and all of a sudden you get in shape and you become acclimated. And you realize that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so you begin to realize, okay, so my kid is going through a prodigal season. Maybe they're questioning creation. Maybe they're questioning the authenticity of Scripture. That's okay. It's okay because, trust me, at the end of the day, if God is with that child, if God is with you, he will work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And for those who do not love him with their whole heart, this could be that prodigal moment where the prodigal son wakes up one day, literally the scripture tells us, comes to his senses while he's feeding the pigs and says, man, the pigs are eating better than I am. At least if I go home and hang out with my father and just you know, have the attitude of a servant, then at least I'll have a place to stay and something to eat. And isn't it wonderful when you see somebody who comes to that point and says, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. And they pray to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. You can tell the Holy Spirit's in their heart and has done a tremendous work in their heart. And that's my prayer for you. If you have not received the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and if you have, that you share that story with other people. Show them how you're running your race. Show them how God is equipping you. Maybe you didn't think, you, you thought I'm preparing for you know a 10,000 meter run and God says, no, you're doing the steeplechase. You got that big hurdle and the water splash and keep running. Find other partners to train with. Remember that ultimately we are going toward that goal. We are going toward that finish line. And the finish line is taking the tape and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. That is good news. And that's the bottom line.